How does antimicrobial resistance impact Ontario's apiculture industry? And what are the best health management practices for honeybees? Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the FAST podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Roach. This podcast series is brought to you by the Farmed Animal Antimicrobial Stewardship Initiative, or FAST for short. Our series explores how antimicrobial resistance impacts livestock production, what antimicrobial stewardship looks like in daily practice, and different views on challenges and the potential solutions to reducing our reliance on antimicrobials moving forward. Today we're speaking with Dr. Brittany Kyle, a veterinarian based in southern Ontario who has switched her focus recently from companion animals to honeybee health. So, let's get into it. Okay, so Brittany, welcome to the FAST podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So, uh, super excited to have you here today. I'm really excited about, you know, to hear your story and get a feel for what's going on out there in apiculture and, and sort of your unique perspective, I think, on it and, and how things are going. So, um, I guess to jump in a little bit, you know, we've got a variety of different listeners out, out here for the podcast. Can you give them a sense of sort of your background, how you got into, you know, bee health and, and, um, you know, what, what are you up to these days when it comes to that? Sure. So, um, my name is Dr. Brittany Kyle and I am currently studying honeybee veterinary medicine. I graduated from the Ontario Veterinary College in 2009 and like many of my classmates, I went into the small animal world sure. sort of working a little bit of emergency and also just general practice um, and uh, took some time off here and there to focus on family and mm-hmm. go back to small animal and then uh, almost two years ago at the very start of 2019 I stumbled across a course on the veterinary information network and it was all about honeybee veterinary medicine mm-hmm. but the first time I read your description I thought what that's a thing because <laughs> <laughs> we certainly had not spent any time in vet school talking about bees. Um, So I thought, well, you know what? I don't know what's going on right now with my career. I'm just going to take the course and maybe I'll learn some cool things. And I'll never forget sitting in that first lecture because going over the honeybee anatomy, it was just, I was hooked. And it was so fascinating. And it was this sort of full circle moment of growing up as a kid, I was always the one out in the dirt digging around, looking at bugs, and always fascinated by the insect world. Um, I've always had a love of botany and always been out in the garden and suddenly realizing I could tie my veterinary training into working with one of the species that had always fascinated Mm -hmm. me was incredible and it has definitely taken over my life um, since that first course and I've spoken to the instructor and given her full credit as a brain um, for what it has done. Yeah. It's, It's been great. Oh, that's awesome. It's such a unique sort of story in terms of your, your career path, eh? Yeah, it's not something I saw happening when I graduated 10 years ago. Yeah, but pretty exciting. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's so neat to be in North America right now in this field because it's just unfolding here. Yep. Um, the U.S. is a little bit ahead of us. There are changes okay. um, requiring veterinarians to get involved started in 2017. And then ours, of course, um, just this past December, um, the changes occurred with Health Canada and requiring veterinarians to get involved. So it's brand new and it's really neat to sort of collaborate with people and, 
and work towards how can we incorporate veterinary medicine into beekeeping. Mm -hmm. Have you seen or been involved with many veterinarians? I mean, the stories that I know of are are many companion animal veterinarians or traditionally, you know, sort of cats and dogs, um, you know, starting to potentially be approached, especially in rural areas by um, beekeepers, you know, and for access to antimicrobials and, and maybe even just consultations. Is that something you're seeing more of as a need now and, you know, since then? Absolutely. Um, speaking with colleagues in the U.S., they did find there was a lag time. Okay. Um, so it sort of took at least a good year um, before they started to see beekeepers really reaching out. Right. Um, and I think, I suspect that's also occurring in Canada. I have certainly heard of some beekeepers making contact with veterinarians and asking for prescriptions. Um, but I think as the years go on and be quite honest stockpiles of antibiotics run out right um we'll see more and more beekeepers reaching out and, and establishing relationships oh that's great so exciting times ahead yes, <laughs> so one of the reasons um we've got you here today is to talk a little bit about your perspective and your experiences uh, or potentially your experiences with antimicrobial resistance um fast is all about trying to you know sort of I guess be that uh, loudspeaker, so to speak, and, and get aware, raise awareness, uh, get information resources out, and, and hopefully practical information on how producers and their veterinarians can work together to improve animal health, prevent disease, and ultimately reduce the reliance on antimicrobials. Um, what does antimicrobial resistance sort of mean or look like to you uh, in the context of, of hive health and in beekeeping? Yeah, so um, I think there is tremendous opportunity to make an impact on the current antimicrobial practices here in Ontario um, and as well as across North America. Right. Um, so a lot of the beekeeping world, the European Union, Australia, New Zealand, um, they do not use any antibiotics at all. Okay. They're banned in their hives. Um, there's a little bit of antibiotic use in the UK, but for essentially most purposes it is not used. Uh, North America is somewhat unique, along with some of um, South America as well, in that we do allow for antibiotics to be used. But now we need to look at what's the evidence that promotes their use, what is our reason for prescribing it, and is that in the best interest of not only the hive itself, the colony, um, but also you know, from a one health perspective, environmental impact, and human health. Mm-hmm. And, and you touch on some of the things that start to come out when we talk about antimicrobial stewardship as sort of the, you know, the overarching, the umbrella term that we use in terms of trying to fight resistance. What does that um, sort of mean to you as a veterinarian? What can you, you do as a veterinarian for beekeepers in helping to sort of drive that antimicrobial stewardship, um, you know, banner? I think the biggest responsibility I have as a veterinarian is to be a leader and to provide advice and guidance on what appropriate use of antibiotics is. Yep. Always keeping in mind that if we don't need to use antibiotics, it's better not to because we need to preserve them um, for down the road in the future, other human health um, as well as other species as well that require um, some of the antibiotics that are being used by bees. I think that um, it's really important that we understand the current practices, what's being done, um, what historically has been done for a very long time, mm -hmm. and we look at how can we make improvements in making sure we're being as responsible as we can be. Oh, that's great. And so that's, um, I think, a strong uh, role that vets can have. Um, how do producers play into to stewardship? Where What are their primary roles? Yeah, I think that 
asking questions is always important. I always look, even when I was in small animal, and it applies to um, working with bees as well, that a veterinarian and a producer or animal owner, we need to be a team and we need to be working on the same page with the same goal of increasing welfare, longevity, um, economic benefit for the um, beekeeper in, in this instance. And I think the more that they can be part of the team and ask questions and be active participants, the better the outcome will be. They need to make sure they're comfortable with recommendations that are being given. And if they're not comfortable, they need to speak up and say, hey, this isn't what I've done, or why are you recommending this? Right. And, and have those conversations. Yep. And for me, that what you just said there sort of hits on the crux of what the vet-client-patient relationship is all about, right? Is that it's, it's about establishing that, and it's a two-way street, right? A dialogue between, you know, what's going on on the farm and, um, well, ideally, what can we improve, right? Whether it's antimicrobial use or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. So for producers out there, and, and I think even for some vets that are interested in, you know, maybe aren't as far along as you in terms of exploring some of the options, um, you know, in, in hive health, uh, I, I've used that term kind of broadly, but um, what sort of management practices or technologies or approaches are there that beekeepers can use to be, um, I guess, more prudent with antibiotics or the flip side, you know, promote hive health to, to reduce their need for antibiotics? One of the, the biggest um, improvements we as veterinarians can, can make and something we can bring is our knowledge of biosecurity practices. Um, certainly beekeepers face a very unique challenge mm-hmm. compared to other animal species because with the bees we can't control their food and we can't control where they go. Right. Um, so biosecurity is quite unique, but a lot of the principles are still the same. So yep. good record keeping, having traceability, knowing where your bees came from and where they're going to if you're yep. selling um, where all of your equipment is from, making sure that you're using new equipment, nothing that's been used historically. You know, you don't want to use the um, hives that were your grandfather's back in, right. in the 50s because those are potentially sources of disease. Um, so staying really on top of, of making sure you know your inputs into your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also that you know how to monitor for the diseases. The earlier you catch um, the diseases, the much better off you will be at maintaining it and preventing it from becoming an outbreak within your apiary. Yep, yep, that's great. It's nice to hear, too, that the principles, you know, of biosecurity, infection controls sort of reign true regardless of what sector, right? That the application is always a little different. but yeah, absolutely. And in this case, maybe a little more unique, especially some of the environmental risk factors that may be exposed. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are significant regional differences, too, that, that hives can experience. There are, absolutely, and that's one thing that makes um, Ontario a little bit unique from some of the other places in that we do have a large amount of beekeepers compared to the number of hives, meaning that we have a lot of hobbyists. Okay. So those are beekeepers that have a couple of hives, anywhere up to 50 hives. Um, and because a lot of our beekeeping practices are more in southern Ontario, there's a fairly high density. Mm. So it's not only what's going on in your bee yard, but what's going on in your neighbors and trying to get more collaboration um, and reducing stigma as well um, from some of the diseases so that we can 
have a better understanding of what's going on in a regional area will definitely be helpful going forward. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and the hobbyists, I mean, it can be a challenge in terms of access to veterinary care and, and maybe the flip side is of veterinarians knowing that, you know, in their backyard there may be a number of uh, a potential clients that, that may need, you know, mm-hmm. uh, their support and their consultation. Yeah, and, and absolutely, you can have one beekeeper doing amazingly well on monitoring one thing that beekeepers face is varroa mite yeah devastating disease and um responsible for a lot of the colony losses that we're seeing um and you could be doing everything that you absolutely could to control it and doing a wonderful job Mm -hmm. but if you have someone within even a 10 kilometer radius who isn't controlling for varroa mite or a feral population of bees where varroa is not controlled they could just be bringing it back to your hives so there's definitely some unique challenges for beekeepers. No kidding. You mentioned, I think it's interesting, uh, the stigma associated with having or fighting, you know, certain conditions within a within a, um, a facility or within a, a, a practice. And I guess what's um, what do you feel are some of the the stigma? I mean, I think we we experience this in in farming across the board, livestock yeah. and poultry. And and I always find it interesting to see are there you know, endemic conditions that, like you say about varroa mite, you know, may be endemic in some, in some hives. And so it's not a, a failure on their part, you know, to, to prevent the risk necessarily. It's just a, it's a challenge that they face. Can you speak a little bit to that sort of stigma piece? Yeah. So one of the biggest diseases of concern for beekeepers is um, American fowl breed. Right. And that's really the biggest disease that veterinarians initially are coming to the table being involved in. And it's a disease that if it gets into your hive, there's absolutely nothing you can do to prevent it. Okay. And it's nothing, not necessarily um, the beekeeper's fault that the diseases come in because it often is transferred through bees that drift from, instead of returning to their colony, they might go into another colony. Or um, bees have this really unique behavior where they like to rob each other. Of <laughs> At times when resources are low, um, particularly when there's not as ne- much nectar available in the environment, if they if bees sense a hive that is weak and not doing well, they will go and they will take all of the resources out of that hive. And with taking those resources, they'll often take disease as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't necessarily anything the beekeeper has done. But I, I have heard from talking with beekeepers that they feel um, almost that there's a shame if mm-hmm. they had a case of AFB. And because it is so devastating, they don't want to ever admit to having it in their operation. Yep can be a big challenge, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, uh, well, we've had uh, some interesting stories told when I've asked the the question of, do you have any examples, um, obviously without naming names uh, per se, but um, of, of people, of farmers that have done a, sort of an exceptional job or a, have adopted some practice or technology that's really helped improve um, stewardship for, for, their, uh, uh, for their hives? have worked with um, some producers or um, spoken with them that um, they've actually moved away completely from using antimicrobials Um, and it's through really thorough inspections they go out and they look at every hive Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the spring but they go throughout the season and they're monitoring varroa mite levels and they're treating as needed Um, and they're they're really on top of what's going on within their hives. Right. This obviously becomes more of a challenge when you get into larger scale commercial operations, yep. which might have thousands of hives, because 
go out and look at every single one yourself can be a challenge, but that's something that veterinarians can work with producers to make sure that staff members are trained in disease detection mm -hmm. and ensuring that those hives are at least having eyes on them um, at, at least twice a year, yep. if not more often. Yep. Oh, that's great. Um, shifting towards sort of where we're we're trying to drive the collective industry, the farmed animal industry, of which bees are are very much included. Um, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles we have to practicing antimicrobial stewardship? So, one of the biggest obstacles I think is getting everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, historically, when AFB was a devastating disease, and a lot of hives were um, being lost to the disease. Once it's established in a hive, there's really nothing you can do. It, it will, um, if left unchecked, will kill a hive. Um, and there became a time when antibiotics um, started to be used routinely as a way to control the disease. Um, it was done spring and fall, and this has been going on for, for decades, greater than 50 years. So there is a long history of using it, mm -hmm. and there's also a strong correlation with when the antibiotics started to be used, incidents of AFB suddenly became more controllable, mm. um, and people were not losing their hives quite as much. So there's a lot of fear, I think, right now in the industry that veterinarians are going to take away those antibiotics and the potential devastating losses that could come from taking them away is something that I definitely understand and, and conscientious of. Mm -hmm. How do we work towards changing that that fear or destigmatizing some of these conditions? How do we have better conversations about um, why this is important on the farm and or within a hive even, um, and then for the industry as a whole? So I think one of the most important things I always try to do as a veterinarian is to practice evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. So looking to the literature and scientific um, studies that have been done, um, what evidence is there that the antibiotics are helping to prevent AFB? Um, looking to areas that don't use the antibiotics, what is their incidence rate of the disease compared to um, an area where we do use a lot of antibiotics? Is it worse in one area or another? Mm -hmm. And then also examining what are the impacts of the antibiotics beyond just disease control because unfortunately our antibiotics don't ever just target the one bacteria that we want it to target sure so there are definitely other side effects to any treatments that we give and those need to be evaluated yep and then once we understand and we have a lot of um, documented evidence mm -hmm. then having the conversations with the beekeeping associations and the provincial apiary program which Ontario has a great um, apiary program, um, having the conversations and sort of looking what does the literature tell us, what do we need to do, and how do we get there safely. Yep. So for producers that are interested in, in exploring this a little bit further, what should their first step be? Is it is it having a conversation with their vet, and if they don't have one that they're actively consulting with to, to, to approach that? Is that the, the immediate step? I think it was, is always a great idea to establish a relationship with a veterinarian who is knowledgeable um, about um, honeybee health. <coughs> um, I think also Ontario um, has a really great tech transfer team through the Ontario Beekeepers Association. Mm -hmm. So definitely speaking with them, um, even reaching out to the provincial apiary program is a good place to start. And then there are a lot of other groups that are sort of working on coming up with solutions and trying to develop a transition piece 
um, that would safely allow us to to in, institute better antimicrobial stewardship. Mm-hmm, that's great. Um, so the last question I like to ask everyone is sort of, um, you know, we're on this sort of journey to, to, to challenge resistance, to improve health generally. Um, you know, if we can do one, then we can, we sort of achieve, re, you know, hopefully redu- reductions in resistance. Um, what does the future of antimicrobial use in farmed animals look like? And specifically for bees, what, what does this look like? I think we can get it a lot lower. Um, for me personally, my opinion is that we need to move away from the prophylactic antibiotic use. I have a number of concerns with, with prophylactic use, um, and it's looking at the disease in particular, American fowl brood, um, for which is what we prescribe prophylactic treatments of. The disease itself is a bacterium that produces spores. Mm-hmm. These spores are highly infective, and they can also remain in the environment for decades. They're very hard to get rid of. Right. One of the only ways we can get rid of the spores is through fire or burning. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time a larva dies from the infection, it produces a scale, this hardened, melted larva okay. goes onto the cell and is very tightly adhered. And in that scale, there can be up to a billion spores. Those spores are then either left in the cell where a new larva will start to develop, or they're picked up by the nurse bees that go around the hive um, feeding other larvae. Mm-hmm. And if the spores, which can be um, carried through the nurse bee, um, start to be introduced to other larvae that are young larvae, 12 to 48 hours old, those larvae only need approximately 10 spores in order to develop disease. So the amount of spores that are created versus what it takes to cause a diseased larva is a huge mismatch and definitely concerning and why AFD is such a devastating disease. No kidding. Um, we can use um, antimicrobials, and most commonly, and certainly in Ontario, the one that we use is oxytetracycline. And that will destroy the vegetative state of the disease. So once the spore gets into the larva, it transforms into the vegetative state and starts to replicate. And then it starts to sort of eat away at the larva until the larva dies from from sepsis. And we can use the antibiotic to stop that vegetative state, but the antibiotic does not touch the spores. So if we're using the antibiotic, we may not know that we've got AFD in there because we're masking that vegetative state, which is the state in which we start to see the clinical signs of AFD. Mm-hmm. But we don't touch the spores, so they could remain there and be infective with us not knowing about it. And if we suddenly take away the antibiotics, we there is definitely concern that we will see an outbreak of the disease. So I think it'll be really interesting to see over the next few years us develop a transition piece of how do we get from using the prophylactic antibiotics to safely not using them without causing devastating losses. Right. Because I don't want to go in and, and have this overtake somebody's operation, especially for the larger commercial buys where their livelihood is depending on the health of their hive. Sure. But because the disease has the potential to suppress it, I'm concerned that we're allowing there to remain a source of infective spores in the environment. Ontario is really great in that we have a really strong inspection program and we also have a strong burn requirement. So if there's any clinical cases of AFD found in Ontario, that hive needs to be destroyed. Um, and and I think although a hog will suffer that loss as a beekeeper, I think it's essential to controlling the disease because we're eliminating the source. Right. And I think if we didn't have the suppression from the antibiotics and we were eliminating all of the disease that popped up, 
then we could definitely see a reduction in the amount of environmental contamination that's out there. Yep. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like it's an alternative approach to, to using uh, drugs to, to be your sort of key problem solver, right, through and yeah. through. And there's definitely, you know, in implementing biosecurity measures, making sure that you're not taking frames that could potentially be contaminated with spores and putting them in your other hive. Right. Um, making sure you're removing older equipment. So the recommendation is to take out 20% of your frames every year and destroy them so that you're always rotating and getting okay. fresh approximately a five-year turnover of your equipment um, and inspecting and knowing what signs to look for and identifying it as early as possible yep. so that you don't start to see it pop up in multiple colonies within a unique area or within a region. Right. Well, that's great. That sounds like you've got a pretty comprehensive knowledge in, in a short amount of time on, uh, on you know, em- putting your emphasis and in, in the bulk of your time on, on hive health and, and bee, honeybee health, too. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, AFB is the biggest concern that veterinarians are dealing with right now. Um, <clears throat> but it's sort of the tip of the iceberg right. um, for beekeepers. And um, I don't know if you had heard, but this past year, the U.S., um, they do a survey every year of their winter losses, and they've had their highest winter losses on record. Oh, really? Um, and it's, it's I believe it was about 38% um, of the colonies that didn't make it through winter. Um, it's incredibly high. It's very hard for beekeepers to maintain those losses. A lot of people in the general public have heard, you know, honeybees are at risk of extinction. They're endangered. They're in trouble. And that's not exactly true because they're an agricultural species and we can breed them and we can replace our losses. But what is at risk is the beekeepers and their livelihoods because for every year for them to have to replace close to half of their hives is extremely costly and they are not, potentially will not be able to keep up with those costs. So I'm excited to see more veterinarians get involved and start learning about the diseases and the issues that bees are facing so that we can start to hopefully help be part of the solution of bringing these losses down, making beekeeper beekeeping more profitable, and uh, make sure it continues on into the future. Yeah. We certainly need our bees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pollinator health is paramount, right? Yeah. Not just for the, the industry, but many yeah. others. And one thing I like to tell people that are new um, to the field is that um, honeybees and other pollinators are actually the most important economically important agricultural species in the world. They provide more for us than any other of our traditional species sure. that we've all studied in vet school. Yep. So. Yeah, pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And so as I understand it, you've gotten uh, sort of jumped in with both feet and gotten quite involved in the industry. Um, what's your level of engagement and involvement with uh, with the industry in terms of organizations, associations, and day-to-day practice? Yeah, so I'm, I'm very proud to um, be a member of the Honeybee Veterinary Consortium. Um, I was elected to be the president-elect in January, and it's a wonderful organization and a great resource for veterinarians that are interested in learning more information about honeybees. Um, and uh, I would recommend any veterinarians that want to get more information to, to look us up. Um, we also have a wonderful conference coming up in September, um, and it's all about honeybee health. And it'll be two days of just really detailed learning geared towards veterinarians specifically on many different topics, the um, American fowl brood and writing prescriptions, antibiotic use, but also the other diseases that bees are facing. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. 
So the the last um, maybe question I have for you then, Brittany, is, you know, for vets that are listening out there right now that are exploring or interested in exploring uh, how they might get involved, um, you know, where do they go? What should they do? And, and you know, is, is it open to, to touching base with you to get a little more insight into the, uh, the industry? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I'm really keen to see more veterinarians get on board and get involved. Um, it's a little bit unique in the bee world because getting a veterinary veterinary education in bees is something you have to be self-directed on. Right. There's no formal training right now in North America. Um, so I'm absolutely happy to help um, direct people to resources, recommend courses, things that they can do in learning more. So if someone wants to send me an email, it's just my name, um, Brittany Kyle, B-R-I-T-T-E-N-Y-K-Y-L-E at hotmail.com. Um, or they can reach out to me through the um, Honeybee Veterinary Consortium organization at www.hbvc.org um, and I'm happy to to discuss cases or direct them to resources that they can use. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll be sure to share some of that information as well and uh, and hopefully you do hear from a few. Great. Great. Okay, thanks again. Thank you. All right. Hey everyone, thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to check back with this podcast as we're going to continue putting up new podcasts on this issue. And we're also working on other tools and resources for both veterinarians and producers, all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. You can find these tools and resources at www.amstewardship.ca. FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, ACER Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for policy and regulatory changes, and ultimately to preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening.